Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, how we love thy law. It is our meditation all the day. You have given us a hunger for it. We name children after names in the Bible. We quote Bible verses to one another. We form business plans based on it in relationships. Thank you for such clear guidance. Part of our worship tonight, Lord, is an attentive mind and a focused heart. And so as we give you that, as we minimize all distractions and focus on what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us, we pray that we would grow in this area. And that also as we listen, we'd be thinking about what you're trying to do in our lives. It is a temptation always to think about somebody else who needs this, and certainly there are, but what are you saying to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a man who went to tour, a tour, a mental institution. He was a little bit surprised when he went by one of the cells that was padded, and there was a gentleman in there calling out a woman's name. Linda, 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 he was saying. How could you, how could you, how could you? Beating his head against the padded wall. This disturbed the visitor, and he asked his guide, who's that? He said, well, that's a guy who dated a gal named Linda. They were engaged to be married. She dumped him. It was too much, and he went nuts, and here he is. So they kept walking through the hall, and in the very next cell, there was another man calling out the same name. Linda, Linda, why did this happen? Why did this happen? He goes, now who's that? The guide said, that's the man who married Linda. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to have met Linda? What's all that about? It's the myth of the greener grass, folks. Grass is always greener somewhere else. Whatever happiness is, wherever happiness is, it's not where I am presently. And for me to attain happiness, I have to have something else, some more stuff. I need another job or another spouse or more status, whatever it might be. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read a short verse. It's very poignant because it says that one of the marks of the last days on earth is this very attitude. Paul writes to Timothy, In the last days men will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud. Last week, the name of our message was affluenza. It was a takeoff from the word influenza. And as we said, that influenza is a highly contagious viral infection of the respiratory system. So affluenza is a highly contagious social and even spiritual disorder that comes from overabundance. Well, this is part two, and this is the cure And we're doing it in part two because quite literally, affluenza is affecting our health. And I mean it literally. 
being an affluent nation seems to be affecting our physical well-being. Listen to this. This comes from the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine just last month. Allergy-induced asthma, it says, is more common in affluent countries. The link between atopic sensitization and asthma symptoms in children differs strongly between populations and increases with economic development. Some experts suggest the rise in asthma may be related to more sterile homes and the use of antibiotics. Some believe the human immune system is beginning to respond to harmless substances like animal dander causing allergy and asthma symptoms. In one study, it was reported that kids in affluent countries with allergic sensitizations are four times likely to have asthma. In other words, if I can paraphrase it in layman's language, our affluence is making us sick, literally, not just physically in this case, but also mentally it would seem. Based on World Health Organization data, British psychologist Oliver James has shown that in English-speaking nations, the United States, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, they have twice as much mental illness as other nations. In probing the find the answers to why, he states, same scientist, It's because we're placing a high value on money, possessions, appearances, both physical and social, as well as fame. See, all of these, says this expert and others, are the stuff that build neuroses in human beings. Affluenza. Well, that's not to say that riches in themselves are evil. They're certainly not. Abraham was wealthy. We know Job was wealthy, and God blessed him even more at the end of his life than at the beginning, and there are several examples. And it's not like that car that you want, that new car is satanic, (laughs) or that bigger paycheck is of the devil. Not at all. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's not that, it's what it does to us. And what it does to us is two things. It binds us to the temporal and blinds us from the eternal. It binds us to the temporal, the here and now, and blinds us from the eternal. Last time we were together, we looked at affluenza, and we noted two things. It's cause, which was covetousness, and we defined that. And then it's curse. And what we said is that it reveals a discontentment with God's provision. It also can ruin relationships with other people. And finally, it can ripen into other forms of sin. So that was the cause and that was the curse. Tonight, we want to look at the cure. So I take you back to the 10th commandment and I'd like you to look at it with me again in verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20, the 10th of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. 
We've been told in that verse what not to do, what not to want, what not to strongly desire that doesn't belong to us. That's what we should not do. Tonight, however, I want to look at the very opposite of that. If that's what we're not to do, what are we to do? What are we to be doing? And by the way, that's the reason for next week's final installment on the Ten Commandments because all of these commandments, though they say you shall not do this, 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 and that, it springboards into the other side of the coin, things we ought to be doing rather than these things. So what I want you to do now is turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. As I like to say, flip over to Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at the cure. Tonight, I want to show you that the cure must be identified, and it is in Philippians 4. The cure must be learned, and Paul says he has learned that. And then the cure must be practiced. Once you learn something, you've got to do it over and over again to make it your own. So it must be identified, learned, and practiced. Go with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. It will paint the picture and give the setting. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full, to be hungry, to abound, and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well in that you have shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you did send aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, here's the setting. This church at Philippi had been previously financially supporting Paul as a missionary while he was in Macedonia and when he left. There was a period of time where Paul heard nothing at all from them. And then one day, a guy named Epaphroditus, and we just read about him, came with more financial help for Paul at a very difficult time. Now, Paul says that he's not complaining about that lag, not at all. He's saying, my joy is in the Lord, not in the offering. And the key word I want to draw your attention to is in verse 11. Here's the cure. Content. It's contentedness. That is the cure that Paul brings and identifies to our attention. Contentment. Now I want to tell you what it means. Contentment literally means containment. Containment. Let me give you the Greek word, autarkes. Autarkes. A fascinating word. Here's why. It means self-sufficient. It means satisfied. But maybe the best translation is it means contained. 
contained. It's actually a word that the ancient Greek pagan Stoics, have you ever heard of the Stoics? It was a a form of philosophy founded by a philosopher named Zeno. And the Stoics believed the ultimate aim in life is to be free from needing anything. They called it, their central goal, apathos. We get the term apathy from it. Apathos, without deep emotion, without needing anything. In other words, I'm going to take whatever life gives me and I'm going to learn to accept it. That was their highest goal. Paul uses this word not as a pagan Greek would, but as a Christian would saying, whatever God prescribes for me in my life, that's going to be enough by his sovereign will. So the cure for affluenza is in one word, contentedness, which means you live a contained life. You learn to take whatever's in your container that God has put in your container and go, that's enough. Whatever's in my container. Now, we do this with with animals. We put them in containers. We put fish in aquarium. Now, I don't know if one fish turns to the other fish and says, let's get out of here. I know there's an ocean out there somewhere, and I do not want this one-by-two box. Do you? No, no. I don't know if they do that. Probably not. They learn to adapt in their container. Same with dogs. They have a yard. Now, I have a dog, and he loves to find out what's outside of his container. And if he can see through the fence, which he up to this week has been able to, he's very mad at what he doesn't have in the container. It's out there. And he'll bark and bark. So we put up this coyote fence so he can't see. It's amazing how it's cured his barking. He now has to live with what he sees in his little container. So contentment means containment. I I live in the container God has given me and what he has put in it is enough. Now, here's the rub. You live in a culture that is spending billions of dollars to make you look outside of the fence. The advertising world, market research, is working overtime with one goal, to make you discontented. You've got to have more stuff. That's what the commercials are all about. Their ultimate goal is to impair your self-control to get you to covet so you go, i got to have that. Several years ago in Panama, an American company had a real problem. They were hiring local people, but they couldn't keep people working for them. People would work a while, then they'd quit. And this was happening so often. And here's why they discovered. Because Panama had been a barter society economically. They trade stuff. The American company was paying cash for their wages. Well, in one week's time, the average Panamanian worker had more cash in hand than he had seen in a lifetime. He was satisfied and he quit. So they couldn't keep workers. So what was the solution? True story. They got each of their workers a Sears catalog. Nobody quit. They all suddenly wanted all of the things they never knew existed that were in this catalog. Previously undreamed of stuff. And they kept their jobs. Several years ago, I told you of a cat that I had, and 
this cat was 25 pounds, maybe more. All I remember is that when this cat would walk, the belly would drag across the floor, touching it all the way, meowing like a siren all day long, wanting more, wanting more, wanting more, never satisfied. That's how this cat went through life. Contentment is containment. And Paul would say, if we go through all of these verses and probe their depth, what Paul would say to us is contentment does not come from what you have, but whom you have. Whom you have. God, a relationship with God, knowing that God has given you both the container and the stuff that's in that container. So contentment, which is the cure, means containment. It also means to be independent. Now look at verse 12 of Philippians chapter 4. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here's a guy who is independent of high living and low living. Paul says, honestly, truly, it doesn't matter. Now, he uses the word full in the text, which means to feed like my cat, to feed an animal till it's fat. Now, Paul had lived the fat life at one time. He went to private schools. He came from a, a very um, well-to-do background, it would seem. He knew what it was like to have it all. But he also says, I know how to be abased. Think, just for a moment. He was a prisoner several times. He was on a grain ship as a slave on the way to Rome. And he seemed in any of those situations, high or low, to be the same person. Now, most people get very, very depressed when they lose status or wealth or significance we know how to abound, but not to abase. Back in 1929, when the stock market crashed, story after story of executives jumping out of the windows, committing suicide, they just could not handle the idea that they wouldn't have what they had up to that day. Paul said, I, I, I'm independent. I'm contained, and I'm independent. And that's what it means to be content. So that's, that's the cure. We're not done yet. The cure has to be learned, according to verse 11. Notice that Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I'm so glad that verse is in the Bible. Because I am still learning. And the fact that Paul said, I had to go through a process... I'm done, he said, with the process. I've learned it is encouraging to me that even the great apostle Paul... There was a learning curve. See, contentment isn't just genetic. Contentment isn't just a temperament type. It can be learned over time. Think about it. You learn discontentment in this culture. We all did by virtue of the fact of where we grew up. And I don't think one sermon's going to magically fix that. But I think this is a step forward. And I do think that there are certain things we can learn about contentment that will help us learn contentment, to be content. Now, I'm going to show you what I mean. I know you turned here, but I want you to turn to another passage, to uh, 1 Timothy 
chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. More on the cure, contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6. What can we learn about contentment that we might be content? Just a few short verses beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What can we learn in just those few verses about contentment? Number one, contentment is related to godliness. And if you're taking notes, write that down. Contentment is related to godliness. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, the problem with being content or discontent truly is not outward. It's truly an inward problem. And Jesus said this, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the stuff that you need, all these things will be added unto you. So I put it this way. Your contentment in life is directly proportional to your seeking first the kingdom of God, i.e. godliness. The godlier you become, the more content you will become. I've seen it over and over again in life after life after life. Godliness and contentment go hand in hand. Which means you're going to have to actively battle stuff. I was on television today and I I noticed a couple of commercials that were just so crazy and outlandish of how you will be a fulfilled individual if you buy that beer. Or if you buy that product. And maybe it's time you and your family, when you see these commercials, put it on pause and collectively look at the TV and out loud say, that's a lie. Reprogram yourself. Don't let them program you like you need that. Tell it, that's a lie. So contentment is related to godliness. The second thing we learn here about contentment is that contentment is rooted in eternity. Look at what Paul says. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we carry nothing out. Contentment is rooted not here, but in eternity. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's interesting. Egyptians are known for putting their treasures in the caskets of their kings. The idea was we have to give them stuff so their afterlife will be comfortable as if you really could take it with you. But the Bible says you came into the world empty-handed and you're going to leave empty-handed. As many people have said in times past, have you ever seen a hearse pulling a (laughs) U-Haul? Never. You can't take it with you. You see, When I go to the airport, I'm not worried that I can't decorate the bathroom. You know what I mean by that? 
I'm, I'm there for 30 minutes, an hour. I don't think I, I got to just spend some time fixing that up. I don't like the colors. I'm going somewhere else. It's very transitory. And so it is with this life. It's very transient. It can't be rooted here. It has to be rooted elsewhere. So contentment is related to godliness. Contentment is rooted in eternity. Here's a third. Contentment rejoices in essentials. It rejoices in essentials. Paul writes, having food and clothing with these, we will be content. In other words, that's all you need. And if God puts that in your container, in your fence, for you to be godly and say, that's all that I need, you're miles ahead of most everybody on earth. Now, most of us are not part of the jet set. Some of you may be. Most of us are part of the debt set. You know, people have said, well, money talks. Usually to us, it says, bye-bye, right? We, we can all relate to those words or these. Proverbs 23, will you set your eyes on that which is not? Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. You go, yep, <laughs> I see it all the time. A fourth thing to see here in contentment. Contentment is ruined by craving more. Contentment is ruined by craving more. Notice what he says. For those who desire, verse 9, to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare. This is something we just touched on last week when we read this. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It's ruined by craving for more. Did you know that a 36-month-old toddler can recognize a hundred brand name logos at that age. They've done tests. 36-month-old toddler can recognize a hundred brand logos. And if so if you wonder why are logos shaped certain ways and certain colors given to them, they're done for this reason. So that children at young ages can recognize those brand name logos and say, gotta have them later on when they learn to talk. Now, notice something in that verse that we just looked at. Paul is not addressing the wealthy. He is addressing those who want it, those who desire to be rich. I heard of a cemetery in England with a gravestone over a woman's grave that said, she died for want of things. Next to her was her husband's gravestone, which read, he died trying to give them to her. Craving will rob you of contentment and joy. That's why it's called a snare here. A snare. Once upon a time, there was a pocket watch that lived in the pocket of an English gentleman. The pocket watch was very discontented being a pocket watch, especially when that gentleman walked by the Parliament Building in London every day. Big Ben was right up there. The most impressive clock in the world. And that little watch, as he would come out of the pocket, he would look up and say, I want to be up there. I want everybody to see me. I could serve a lot of people instead of just one person. One day he got his wish and he was hoisted on a string way, way up in the air. But because the watch was so small and it was so far up, nobody could see it. Its elevation was its annihilation. 
It wanted to be seen, wanted to be prominent, and it was. But nobody can see it because it was so small. So, this is how I want to bring this to a close. All of that is good stuff. But how do you stop a desire? How do you stop these desires? How do you control feelings that you have? Well, that brings us to the third and final point. The cure must be practiced. Now go back to Exodus chapter 20 and just look at that list one more time. Since this is the last night we'll spend in it. Look at the list. House, wife, servants, donkey, ox, and then anything. So again, we have three categories as we brought up last week. Things, people, and status. All of these in the list could be put in one of those three categories. Things, people, status. Now, these things are the things God has given to a neighbor, not to you. They belong, according to this verse, to somebody else. God didn't give those things to you. He didn't put them in your container. So if they're in his container or her container and not your container, your little fence, your aquarium, and if we're trying to learn contentment, we want to be self-contained, what can I do? And I close with these three things to practice contentment. All of us need a single eye, a loose grip, and an open heart. Once again, a single eye, a loose grip, and an open heart. And I want to go one by one before we close. A single eye. This is what it means. As you go through this life, as you hear the commercials, as people have more stuff or less stuff, you remember just an airport. Don't worry about decorating the bathroom. Worry about where you're going. Single eye. I'm going to heaven. Eternity. Have you ever heard people say, Oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's nuts. The best way to be earthly good and not tied to the earth is to be heavenly minded. As Paul said, he put it this way, Colossians 3, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So yeah, I know we're walking in this world. Our feet are firmly uh, set on terra firma, the earth. We have responsibilities. We all need homes and cars, etc., etc. But it's passing, and that influences how we interact with those things. And our real focus is on our future home. It needs to be. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. You know you can always tell a citizen of a country because that citizen likes to tell you about his country. And can't wait to go back to his country. You can tell the difference between a citizen and a tourist. Right? Well, you know what? You can also tell a spiritual tourist. You know what a spiritual tourist is? So tied to the earth, they're not really that excited about Jesus coming back at any moment. He didn't need to come back for a long time, truth be told. Because they're so rooted here. We all need a single eye. That's how we practice it. That's where I'm going. That's what I'm focused on. That's how I make my decisions. Second, a loose grip. A loose grip. You see, what did Paul said? You enter the world empty. How did you come into the world? With two hands. Was anything in them? Was a BMW key in one hand? 
No, you came in empty-handed. Your hands may have been open, hand may have been little fists like babies do, but there was nothing inside. And that's how we're going to leave. Job noted that. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. So there's two ways to live your life. There's two ways to hold something. Grab it, hands closed, or hands open with an open hand. My dad used to love to tell the story about his pet raccoon. Yeah, he had one growing up. And uh, he used to talk about the old way they would catch raccoons. And here's what they would do. They'd put a piece of tinfoil in a box, a cage with bars that was staked to the ground. And it was big enough for the raccoon to put its little paw through. And it would grab the shiny tinfoil because it was attracted to the glitter, the gleam, the shine. And now, grabbing that little piece of tinfoil, it changed the shape of its hand so he couldn't remove his arm from the cage. And here's the weird thing. It would seem the raccoon would never let go. You could approach it, you could threaten it, you could capture it, and the raccoon would rather like lose its freedom and its life than let go of that piece of shiny tinfoil. So it's better to live like this than like this. Single eye, loose grip, and as you find yourself relaxing your grip and your hands are now open, make sure that they're raised a lot toward heaven and you're thanking God for what's in your cage, in your container. In fact, walk around your container when you get home and just pause at that thing and go, God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And then to your wife or husband, Lord, you're going to look weird doing this. Lord, thank you for for her, for him. Thank you for them. Thank you for this container. It's enough, Lord. Give me a single eye. Give me an open hand. And finally, an open heart, a loose grip and an open heart. A person with affluenza dreams of getting taking more. A person cured of affluenza thinks about giving. Too many people go through life with catcher's mitts on both hands. More, more, more. Throw it my way. A person cured of affluenza doesn't live that way. There was a very wealthy man who said to his pastor, Pastor, when I had $50,000, I was pretty happy. Now I have $500,000 and I'm miserable. Pastor said, the solution's pretty easy. Give away $450,000. The man said, it's not that easy. He said, money is like electricity. The more the juice, the tighter the hold. So we need to learn to practice being generous with people that we see around us because materialism can enslave the heart. And I know our coins say, in God we trust. But do we? I think the motto of our country in many areas have been, in goods we trust. So how's your contentment level? Are you living an abundant life? Oh, I would be, pastor, if I only had. No, contentment means containment and independence. 
There was a farmer who uh, lived on a farm all his life. He wanted a change. He got tired of the same old farm. So he went to a real estate broker and said, Would you put this thing up for sale? I'm tired of being on a farm. I want to get out. Real estate broker fixed up the place and put an ad in the paper and wanted to run it by the farmer before it was run on the next day. And he said, Well, let me read it to you before I put it in the paper. Ideal location, modern equipment, healthy livestock, acres of fertile soil. And about that time, the farmer said, hold everything. Stop right there. I've been looking for a place like that all my life. (laughs) And it was his. So contentment comes from containment. It's not what we have. It's whom we have. Whom we have. Mother Teresa, who gave up every earthly pleasure before she died, she said, You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian tonight, then you are owned. You are owned by God. When you became a Christian, you gave him the pink slip, the owner's certificate to your life. Here, God, I'm yours. You, you bought me with a price. It's not what I own. You own me. And because God owns you, he's promised to provide everything you need. You don't have to worry. He'll give you the container and he'll put stuff in the container and you'll make it through. Don't look through the fence to the other guys, other gals' containers. If you're not a Christian... Tonight, understand this. God created you with a longing. If you're wondering, why do I feel the way I feel? I'm not satisfied in my life. It's because God created every person with a longing and none of us will ever be satisfied or tranquil until we give our lives to Him. That's the truth, baby Ruth. That's the truth. God longs to have a relationship with you. And as you have a relationship with Him and seek first His kingdom, that godliness with contentment is great gain. You'll be a contented person. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we have a lot to learn. We recognize that. And You have a lot to say. And You have a lot of patience with us. And... Um, We have failed in every one of these commandments time and time again, and you're always there. You're always there to extend a hand of forgiveness. It's a nail-pierced hand that says, I died for your sin. I love you the way you are, but I want to make you different than the way you are. So, Lord, all of us need those changes. All of us need to learn contentment. And I pray, Father, that as our lives are related to godliness, rooted in eternity, rejoicing in the essentials, I pray they would not be ruined by craving more. Lord, I pray we'd be able to look around our container, our aquarium, whatever it is, and just say, I know the Lord. He's providing for my life. And live carefree, tranquil, contented lives. Lord, I also want to pray for those who are searching for purpose, meaning, depth, 
They just want change in their life. And they've been invited by a friend or a relative, a neighbor. They've come. And quite honestly, they want more out of their lives. They want to experience more. I believe they've thought lately, there's got to be more to life than what I have been presently experiencing. What is it I'm missing? And you brought them here, Lord, not by accident, but because you have an appointment. And we pray that those who have come who don't yet personally know Christ would come to meet Him and enjoy His love and His provision, His forgiveness, His tranquility. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.